Good to see you all. We made it through first service. You guys didn't. I made it through first service. So uh, we're going to have a good time this morning. It was uh, May of 2005. I had the opportunity and invited to speak at a local high school graduation over in uh, Boone County area. And during that time, I was sitting getting ready to uh, uh, speak. And the guy that was introducing us, he said a couple things. And then he, as he was getting off the stage, he said, now I introduce you to um, Sean Alexander. And I was like, hey, that's really, really cool. Some of you guys know Sean Alexander, have heard of Sean. Sean is in Northern Kentucky, a little bit of an icon. He played high school football at Boone County High School. Um, he was an All-Stater. Then he went on to play an All-American at Alabama. After Alabama, then he went on and he was drafted by the Seattle Seahawks. And uh, the Seattle Seahawks, in, remember the time frame, May of 2005, they were in the Super Bowl in that February-ish, something like that, and a couple months before this, he had just been named the NFL MVP. I was pumped. I was like, hey, this is cool that uh, I get to share a stage with Sean Alexander. I get to hear about some of his stories and a variety of different things. And then I realized quickly, I was like, oh, no, now I share the stage with Sean Alexander. He's going to be all this fun stuff, and I'm going to be me, right? And so uh, all these things, and then I quickly look over at the gentleman that introduced Sean Alexander, and he gave me this nod, like, hey, I just introduced you. It's time for you to stand up. In that moment, it clicked really quick. It was like he accidentally introduced me, Shane Armstrong, as Sean Alexander. Sean is, at the time, an icon of Northern Kentucky, May of 2005, the NFL MVP. All these things going on. He's also an athletic, physical specimen. Not so much, right? So uh, that was kind of the dynamic. So let me just tell Jared, thank you so much for getting my name right. It helped out. It started us off really, really well that you called me Shane Armstrong. Well, thanks for having me. It is so good to be here. And we've had partnership and, and been tied to Plum Creek for a lot of years. I've had a lot of relationship with Plum Creek, as Jared has noticed, through the years. I'm so grateful for you all, for your ministry in and through this community. The mission that you are carrying out for Jesus through this community is significant. And so thank you so much for all you do. Well, let me give you a quick glimpse of Master Provisions, who we are, why we do what we do, and what we do. We're going to pray together, and then we're going to jump into Colossians 3. So if, as I'm talking, you want to turn to Colossians 3, feel free to do that. We're going to spend some time in sermon there. But 1994, there was a gentleman in the mission field by his name is Joe Parker. Joe was working there doing farming, trying to help some of the locals um, learn how to farm, and at the same time would um, uh, have small little churches in that area. Well, Ukraine had been going through a significant time of inflation, and so he reached out to a friend of his here in northern Kentucky by the name of Roger Babick and said, Roger, I need you to ship all kinds of clothing over to us to help out the need here in Ukraine. So Roger said yes. He started the mission of Master Provisions, reached out to a lot of local churches, and everybody would start donating, going through their closets in the spring, donate those clothes to Master Provisions, we would process and then we'd ship it overseas. Today we are connected to eight or nine international partners. Really, really excited about that. And so we still ship that overall. So you saw a video a little bit more about in depth of who we are, why we do what we do. And that's tied to the food insecurity world of Northern Kentucky and greater Cincinnati. That is now about 80% of everything we do. We ship um, um, uh, food around the city. Um, and we go get that food, bring it back to our warehouse, process it, make sure the expiration is really good because we get food that is overproduced and mispackaged. 
So it's not ready to go straight into a dumpster. It's still really, really good, high-quality food. And we distribute it to about 275 nonprofit partners. Think like homeless shelters, food pantries, uh, soup kitchens, um, senior living centers, addiction recovery houses. Those are a lot of our partners. And right now we're, we're partnering and helping to feed almost 75,000 people a month. And so we're really, really excited about, so thankful to be a part of that mission in and through Greater Cincinnati. And so thank you for letting me be a part of that. I want to encourage you, inside of your bulletin, I'll tell you a quick glimpse of how you can kind of connect with Master Provisions. There's two ways, actually there's five, and then I'll share the, the second way that will be helpful inside of that. But the first way, this is the foundation of who we are, why we do what we do, and everything we are. Prayer is our foundation. We pray together as a team. We pray in our warehouse all the time. But if you would pray for us, we'll be praying for you as well. And so um, if you'd be praying for the ministry of Master Provisions, we'd really, really, really appreciate that. The second thing is you can go on a mission trip with us. We'll send two or three mission trips a year through some of our partners. You could go on one of those. The third way is that you could also give monthly, $19.94. It's part of our 1994 Connects. We started in 1994. You could give that and it will help up to 100 people a month feeding them and clothing them. So $19.94, you could do that, you could give that. You could also come to our warehouse and serve, be a part of that, processing food and, and all kinds of different things, uh, clothing. We are also, uh, on August 27th, if you want to put this on your calendar, we are back here, and we're going to do a clothing drive and process clothing um, in the building on August 27th, that afternoon and evening. So uh, it'll be a good time here at Plum Creek as well. The fifth way is you can go online, you can uh, get connected to one of our, um, our uh, newsletters and find out a little bit more that you would get over email each week, each month, and be a part of that as well. Sound good? Good. That's a solid yes. I'll take that as a yes. We're going to pray together, and then we're going to jump into Colossians 3. God, thank you for the promise that you've given us, the principles, the, the, the clarity of who you are and what you have done for us, giving us Sending Jesus to give us new life every single day. Father, our prayer is that we live this out. We, we desire to be the mission, not just in our personal lives, but, but in our lives throughout our community. God, use us, make us into who you have called us to be. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to jump, jump into Colossians 3. I understand that this is a series called Life Verse or Life Verses. And so one of the things for me has been Colossians 3, 12. I think it is a very significant verse once we get there. But we're going to start in verse 1 and go through 17 in a few different ways here this morning. And we're going to just take a few moments and do that. But this life verse is important to me because it's our theme at Master Provisions, but it's also a significant transition in the book of Colossians. As we look at Colossians, it's all about Jesus. Well, really, we could say that about the whole Bible, right? Because the Old Testament is all pointing to the Messiah that's coming. It's pointing to Jesus in the gospel. We're talking about the Jesus who is here. And in the, in the rest of the New Testament, we're pointing back and focusing on Jesus. The whole thing's about Jesus. But Colossians... We're talking about practicality. We're talking about living a practical life of serving Jesus. And so in the first chapter, just to go through this real quick, the first chapter, it spotlights that Jesus with a poetic declaration of Christ's supremacy. 
Paul states definitively that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, that all things were created by Christ and for Christ, that he is the head of the church, that our lives, it only uh, is reconciled in our relationship with God due to Jesus. In the second chapter, he goes on, then he assures us that we can find fulfillment in Jesus. In other words, we have everything we need when we have Jesus. As Paul moves into the third chapter, he begins to sketch out what it means to live in all about Jesus' life and what that really, really looks like. Something for us to keep in mind in this book of Colossians is that the pagan religions of the Paul's day said little or nothing about personal morality or lifestyle. And so what they could do is a worshiper could come and bow before an idol, putting an offering on the altar, and then he would go back to living his life however he saw fit. What a person believed had no direct relationship with how he or she lived. But the Christ-centered life brought a whole new concept to pagan society. What we believe as believers, as Christ followers, ought to dramatically impact how we live. If we are committed to Jesus and connected to Jesus, then Jesus is going to influence how we live our lives. So Paul's the writer of the book of the Colossians, and, and, and he wrote it around the year 60 A.D. in a, in a prison cell. And about that time, it's, it's understood that he's probably never physically with the Colossians. So here he is writing, similarly to all the other letters that he's writing, and challenging and encouraging them to focus everything they are on Jesus. Get rid of the distractions and focus on Jesus. At the time, the Colossian church was, was struggling with including philosophies of their world and their culture into the teachings and truth from Jesus. Does that sound familiar? We take some teachings of what the world has given us and taking the teachings of Jesus and let's mix it up a little bit. That's what was going on inside of the Coloss church. So I'm reminded, and as I read this book of Colossians, that it was written to the, book, written to the people of Coloss, written to the Colossian church, all intended for them. At the same time, it also resonates with us in our time and, and what we're going through. Colossus was not as influential of a city as some of the local cities like Laodicea. However, Colossus was still a trading center where there's a lot of different ideas, religions, strategies influencing the people of the city. And consistently in Paul's letters, he would strategically share words, greeting and encouragement, and reminding people of who Jesus was. And the need to focus on him. His whole focus was to focus on Jesus, forget about the distractions, work through those distractions, and be reminded when you're influenced by other things, focus on the teaching of Jesus. That's what we're going to do. We're going to jump into Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You know, the Bible uses so many different illustrations to teach what happens when we choose Jesus to be Lord of our lives. Because Christ died for us, we have been crucified with him. Our old rebellious nature and our, 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 our sins died with Christ. Christ's resurrection guarantees our new life and eternal life with him forever. 
And the process is acted out in baptism based on our faith in Christ. The old sinful nature dies. We are ready to receive new life, and Christ gives us that new life. So here's what Paul does. He says that because we've got this new life in Jesus, we ought to set our hearts on things above. You know, we know what it's like to set our hearts on something, right? Whether it's someone, it's this strong desire and expectation for something, someone, someday. Everything we think about, our whole focus, everything we do, because that's where our heart is. But then Paul throws out this, this idea, but, but changes it just a little bit different concept. He says, set your minds on things above. The word translated in mind is the New Testament doesn't simply refer to just our brain or even just our thoughts. Rather, it includes our volition, our will. So it's actually really similar to a phrase that we will use with our kids or our grandkids. Just put your mind to it. Right? We'll tell them, you can do anything you really want to do if you just put your mind to it. In other words, we're talking about focused determination and hard work. So when we put these two concepts together that Paul says we've got to have desire and determination, it's hard work. So where should our hearts and minds be set? On things above where Christ is. And where we will be when Christ comes again, Paul says. In other words, we're talking about heaven and because Jesus is there, our affections and aspirations should be set where Jesus is and what he has for us in life. I will say for me, in life, there's been times when I've been way too focused and distracted by earthly things. Things that are temporary. Things that just don't matter. When my heart needs to be focused on things Above. Let's go on in verses 5 through 11. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as anger and rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So as we continue through this, here's what Paul writes, a list for us to rid ourselves with. This isn't a comprehensive list. This is something that Paul writes and says, here, I'm going to encourage you to get rid of these things. As we work through, that's a pretty ugly list, right? I mean, I read this passage as if Paul's just saying there's just a, a monster lurking within our hearts. And it's really true. The Bible calls it sinful nature. It's, it's beastly, ugly, defiant, immoral, angry, hateful, and greedy. And because of it, we hurt the people we love. We do things we know we shouldn't do and wonder why we do them. John Cooper is the lead vocalist and bassist for the Christian band Skillet. He wrote on their album Awake, he wrote this song Monster, and it kind of describes our battle with sinful nature. He says this, the secret side of me I never let you see. I keep it caged, but I can't control it, so stay away from me. The beast is ugly. I feel the rage, and I just can't hold it. It's scratching on the walls and the closet and the halls. It comes awake and I can't control it. Hiding, hiding under my bed, in my body, in my head. Why won't someone come 
and save me from this. Make it end. I feel it deep within. It's just beneath the skin. I must confess that I feel like a monster. I hate what I've become. You know, as I read that, I feel like I can relate. I, I know I can. There's one time or another we've all been perplexed or disgusted by our own actions or our sins. I swear to myself that I'll never do it again. I'll never do this certain thing. And then just a few weeks or an hours later, I find myself doing that again. We're horrified by our own weaknesses and resolve. But once more, to be done with the past behavior, but far too soon we're back at it. So what about it? What does Paul tell us to do? To kill it. Flee from it. Put it to death. I have to admit, there's been times in my life, after reading parts of this scripture, but other ones that are similar, I can quickly become discouraged, disappointed, frustrated with myself, overwhelmed, because it feels like it's just, it's just too hard. Like trying to get rid of these things, trying to kill this sinful nature that comes. There's a lot to grow through. And Paul is encouraging us and what it feels like. He's just saying, just get rid of it now, like a light switch. Just flip it off. And that'd be a goal. But really, I think the intent is, is for us to consistently take step by step by step every single day, growing closer to Jesus to get rid of these things. Because if we don't, it causes more hurt and more pain and guilt and anguish and disappointment. It's all about growing our relationship, our, our adventure, our journey with Jesus every single day. Each day is a step, and each day is a new opportunity. So here's a critical piece. Let's go to Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another of any of you of grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God, the Father, through him. So some of you have heard this before. Anytime you see the word therefore, we need to uh, take notice because there's a reason it is therefore. So after Paul makes a significant and what can feel like an overwhelming challenge of all these sinful nature pieces you just get rid of, he quickly reminds us of these three truths at the beginning of 12. This is the significant transition for us as Christ followers in our lives. That we have to remember that God sees us as chosen, holy, And dearly loved. Those three things are critical in our lives. You know, to be honest, there's a lot of times in my life that I just don't feel any of those. I don't feel chosen. I don't feel holy. I don't feel dearly loved because of who I am, because of the things I've done. But these are truths. These are principles that God has promised us because of Jesus, and that's how God sees us. What would happen? 
What, what would happen in our lives if we believed those three things? How would we live our lives out if we lived the way God see us, sees us because of what Jesus has done for us? It's kind of like having a password, a code, to be able to say the name of Jesus. And that's how God sees us. It was a few years ago I had the opportunity, a friend of mine, uh, his father was in his last moments of his life. And he asked me if I would come over to the hospice unit and, and pray with him, pray with his family. And um, I, of course, I'll come over. And, and something to know about this, this man and his family, his dad was a, um, a northern Kentucky icon. He was very, very, very well known. And he was also known just not throughout greater Cincinnati. At one time in his life, he was known throughout the country and the nation for a variety of different reasons. So I go in and as I walk into the lobby at the hospice unit, I see there are a few local uh, television stations. And then there's some national media outlets, outlets that are there. And I don't think too much about it for the most part. And I walk up to the desk and I said, I'm here to see such and such family. And she said, do you have the code? Do you have the password to be able to go back and be with the family? I said, I, I don't know there's a code. I, I didn't know there was a password to be able to go back. And so I was just invited by the family to come and pray with them. And she asked me to lean over and she goes, sir, can I ask you what your name is? And so I shared, it and shared with her my name. Uh, and of course, I said, Sean Alexander. No, I didn't say Sean Alexander. I said, I said, Shane Armstrong. And she said, that's the password. That's the code. And I was like, my name has never been a password or a code before. And I was able to go back and meet with the family. I look back and all those media outlets are like, Shane Armstrong, Shane. She's like, no, it works one time. Here's the deal. Is, is there's times in our lives that because of what Jesus is, who he is, and what he's done in our lives, that's how God sees us. We are permitted because of who Jesus is. Due to how God sees us, through our gratitude, our commitment, and love for Jesus, Paul is, goes on to encourage us to clothe our lives with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So how do we practically combat the sinful nature and desire of doing things we don't want to do and the things we want to run from and not be a part of? How do we clothe ourselves? I've always appreciated the way Paul writes because I think he is very practical. He is very strategic and intentional. And in this moment, he offers us some strategy. He offers us a healthy rhythm to help us live for God day by day. Now, they might not be easy, but these are things that he helps remind us of a few things that are important. The first thing he shares with us is to imitate Christ's compassionate, forgiving attitude. Ah, this is another honest moment. I have to pray over being like Jesus when I need to be more compassionate, more forgiving. He also encourages us to let love be our guide. Let Jesus guide our lives through our decisions. Let peace of Christ rule in your life. Again, that's one thing that we have to ask God for is like, God, please give me the peace that passes all understanding when we're helping to make a decision or, or uh, be a part of relationships in our lives. Gratitude is a significant piece, the way in which we live our lives to be more grateful. We live in a world, we live in a culture, the world of expectancy that it's just we receive. That's just the way it is. Learning a life of gratitude. Having God's word be a center point of everything that we are. We also remember that we re represent 
Remember who you are and, and whose you are. So let's wrap this up. So here's what this comes down to. If you're living the all about Jesus life, then you're going to have a different focus than the rest of the world. Your heart and your mind will be set on things above. You're also going to have a fight on your hand every single day. Through the power of God's Spirit and faith in the Word, we need to put our sinful nature to death, getting rid of the long list of sinful earthly things lurking inside of us. So we want to dress like Jesus, clothing ourselves in mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and love. See, this is what it looks like to live a Christ-centered life and know that Jesus is Lord of our lives. I think there's a lot of times inside of our lives that we, we, we have to be reminded moment by moment of who Jesus is, what he has done for us, and how God sees us. It was in the late 90s I had an opportunity to go to the country of Haiti. And uh, in Haiti, uh, it is led. There's a lot of voodoo uh, uh, experiences that you'll come across, which is part of the satanic worship. Well, we were there in the springtime around Easter, and for us as believers, we go celebrate Easter, right? It's a great time to celebrate who Jesus is, what he's done for us, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And so we would go and we would celebrate with the local church there, but the, 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 the voodoo religion, they're there to celebrate the crucifixion of Jesus. That's what they were ramping up to celebrate. Well, there were groups of people um, inside of the voodoo religion. They were called rah-rah bands. And inside these rah-rah bands, they would just be a group of people. They would all be wearing red. Um, They would be, uh, most of the time, they would either be high or they'd be drunk. And they'd be carrying around weapons like machetes. And they'd be carrying around noisemakers. They were just there to disrupt and prepare for the crucifixion and celebration of what they saw fit for that Situation. Now, I was reminded as I saw the group at a variety of different times of the times in our churches when we will go through spring cleaning, we'll take care of our clothing, and we'll ship it overseas. Well, these groups of people had received lots of clothing from the states because they were wearing clothing that I knew they didn't know what it said on their clothes. I, I had to laugh just a little bit there. And the, again, it was the late 90s. I saw a couple old uh, Coca Cola Max Headroom shirts. I saw a couple uh, Spuds McKenzie shirts that kind of made me laugh, but my favorite shirt, my favorite shirt out of all of them was what the witch doctor was wearing. See, he was leading these rah-rah bands around. He decided he could, he, he, they couldn't read in English, but he decided he wanted to stand out. He grabbed the brightest red shirt he could find. And on that bright red shirt, I knew exactly as soon as I saw it, I knew where it came from. There was a youth group in the States that were going on some kind of a trip. And back in the day, you remember you do the iron-on type stuff. It was the felt, big felt, white letters is what it was. And and I knew it was done by hand because none of the letters were straight. It was just kind of awkward through there. But bright red shirt, huge white letters, witch doctor on his shirt said, Jesus is Lord. In that moment, that has been an image in my mind that has been carried out through the rest of my life. In that moment, I was reminded by a witch doctor of who Jesus is, where he sits, and where he will always be. Friends, there are moments in our lives that we have to make sure we are focusing on Jesus with everything that we are. And if it takes 
God to allow a witch doctor wear a red shirt and it be in your face? We have to find ways throughout our lives that it resonates with us. It makes a difference because we've decided to follow Jesus. It changes the way in which we live our life. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We're so grateful for the truths, the promises that you have given to us, made us, made us new. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you so much for moments in our lives where, where maybe we're distracted by things the, the, that is of this world, that is earthly nature or sinful nature. I'm so thankful that you put Jesus in those moments to remind us, use the Holy Spirit to remind us of who Jesus is, what he's done, and the hope that we have and the privilege we get to wake up with every single day. God, might our lives reflect that truth, that Jesus is Lord. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.